0: I begin this morning with a story told by Dennis Miller. He tells of his experience with his son one day. Out of parental concern and a desire to teach his young son some responsibility, he required that his son, as he would walk a few blocks to his friend's house, when his son arrived, had to call home to tell his parents that he had arrived safely. His son began to forget, however, as uh, he grew more confident in his ability to walk a few blocks and get to his friend's house safely. The first time his son forgot, uh, the father, Dennis, called to make sure he had arrived. And he writes We told him the next time he forgets to call back home, he would have to come home immediately and forfeit his time with his friend. Indeed, a few days later, His son forgot to call home when he arrived uh, at his friend's house. And Dennis writes, I knew if he was going to learn a lesson, he would have to be punished. But I did not want to punish him. I went to the telephone and rang his friend's house, regretting that his great time would be spoiled by his forgetting to call home. As I dialed the number, Dennis writes, I prayed for wisdom. And the Lord seemed to say to me, treat him like I treat you. With that, as the telephone rang one time, I hung up. A few seconds later, the phone rang. It was my son. I'm here, Dad. His son shouted at the phone. The uh, the father said, son, what took you so long to call? The son admitted, well, Dad, I started playing and I simply forgot. But Dad, I heard the phone ring once. And that triggered in my mind the reminder to call back home, and so I remembered. How often do we think of God as one who is just waiting to pounce on us, to punish us when we step out of line? How many of us think that God simply waits up in heaven on high so that he can dole out his judgments the first time we mess up? I wonder instead how often he just figuratively rings once, hoping we will remember the phone home. That is the emphasis of the book of Zephaniah, the book we're studying in our sermon series. Hopefully this book will serve as that ring of the phone to remind us to contact God if we have forgotten him. And that is why as we study this book, as we began last week, the judgments in this book, are real, they are devastating, they are intense. And although they are context-specific to the nation of Israel and to the countries that are specifically mentioned in this book, especially in chapter 2, this book is applicable to us and beneficial to us because from it we get a glimpse into the heart of God, into what He expects His people to act. It also serves to remind us that we can indeed suffer discipline from God in this life for our sins or perhaps loss of eternal rewards in the next if we are Christians and so we continue our study in the book of Zephaniah this morning if you have your Bibles I'd like to encourage you to turn with me to the book of Zephaniah as we pick up where we left off last week at chapter 1 verse 14 studying to chapter 2 verse 3 again if you're new to the Bible the book of Zephaniah is a little book tucked towards the end of the Old Testament after the book of Habakkuk and before the book of Haggai. As you are turning to this book, remember what we mentioned last week, that the purpose of biblical prophecy is to tell us about God's plan for the future. And knowing what God has in store for the future should hopefully elicit in us a change of attitude and a change of action. Verses 14 to 18 begin with a description of that great day of the Lord. And as we talked about this great day of the Lord last week, I told you that the day of the Lord is when God will universally judge the wicked of this world at the end of time. But from these verses and in the description of the great day of the Lord, we also find three things about God's omnipotence his characteristic of his all-powerfulness, his sovereignty. And so let's take a look. Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 14 reads this. The great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hastens quickly. The noise of the day of the Lord is bitter. There the mighty men shall cry out. The Bible tells us that the day of God's judgment upon this earth can come at any time. And we believe in the doctrine of the imminent return of Jesus Christ, meaning that Jesus Christ can come at any time. And when this judgment does come that accompanies the coming of Christ, note what verse 14 says. Verse 14 says that it will be bitter. God's judgment will be so complete, so devastating, it will be very difficult to swallow, bitter to the taste. But I want you to note a very vivid description of what will happen on that day, the end of verse 14. There, the Bible says, the mighty men shall cry out. Imagine men of power and prestige, men of strength and confidence, men of pride and arrogance, will cry out in despair as God in his omnipotence shows just how powerful he is. And here's what I want you to note, number one, if you're taking notes. God in his omnipotence, number one, shows that he is more powerful than any other human being. God is more powerful than any human being. I know that is simple. I know that you already know that. But sometimes we forget this truth that in his characteristic of his omnipotence meaning he is all-powerful That god is more powerful than the mightiest men in this world And god not only shows it today He will show it at that great day of the lord that he is more powerful than the mightiest men of this world In fact the mightiest men will cry I want you to let that truth sink into your minds just for a moment if the God we worship is more powerful than any other person on the face of this earth, why are we afraid of other people? Does that make sense? If the God we worship, the omnipotent God, is more powerful than any other person on the face of this earth, why are we afraid of other people? Perhaps it's because we don't believe in the reality of the omnipotence of God in our lives. But God, as he has revealed himself, tells us that he protects us, that he guards us on all sides. We have a God who goes before us, Isaiah 48, verse 17 tells us. We have a God who comes behind us, Isaiah chapter 30, verse 12. We have a God who protects our right flank, Psalm 16, verse 8. We have a God who protects us on our left flank, Job chapter 23, verse 9. We have a God who is above us, Psalm thirty six, verse seven. We have a God who is underneath us, Deuteronomy thirty three, verse twenty seven tells us. And 1 Corinthians three sixteen tells us his spirit lives within us. The omnipotent God surrounds us. What protection, what security. It must be a wonderment to him why we are still afraid of other people. Don't forget that the God who protects us, the Omnipotent One, can take down any who oppose Him. He makes the mighty men cry. The second revelation of God's omnipotence is found in verse 15 to 16 in the description of God's great day of the Lord. Verse 15. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of devastation and, and desolation. A day of darkness and gloominess, a day of cloud and thick darkness. A day of trumpet and alarm against the fortified cities and against the high towers. On that great day of the Lord's judgment, it will indeed be a terrible day. Look how verses 14, 15, and 16 describe this day. A day of trouble, a day of distress, a day of wrath. But I want you to notice that phrase at the end of verse 16. It says that God's judgment will take down all the fortified cities of the world as well as the most fortified of the high towers. You see, from these verses, we see a second principle of God's omnipotence. Number two is that God in his omnipotence shows that he is more powerful than any other human institution. God is more powerful than any human institution. God is stronger than the strongest, strongest man-made earthly institution. He can take down anything which we have built to be our security. He can take it down. In what human institution have you placed your trust? In what organization? In what government? You know, historically, the city of Jerusalem was one of the most fortified cities in the ancient Near East. It made the inhabitants of the city of Jerusalem very proud and arrogant. Their city would never fall. In fact, if you know the Bible well, it was one of the last cities to be captured by Joshua because it had natural defenses in its south and its west and its east with deep, deep ravines and valleys that protected the city. The only way you could come through and attack the city of Jerusalem was from the north, and that is where they fortified the city gates. That is why years after the conquest of the land of Canaan by Joshua did the city of Jerusalem finally fall when brave Caleb took the city from the Jebusites? But as fortified as this city was, God said, I will take it down. And God's instrument of judgment in the people of the Babylonians historically took the city of Jerusalem from the north and indeed tore down the city, every stone pushed down. In our current context, we are reminded also that whatever organization, whatever structure that man has set up, which we perhaps think will last forever, at least a hundred years, can and will be torn down by God and should therefore serve as a warning to us not to place our trust in those things as our safety net. Our trust must be upon the God who is omnipotent, who is more powerful than any other human institution. The third revelation of God's omnipotence can be found in verses 17 to 18 as we continue the description of the Lord's great day. Verse 17. I will bring distress upon men and they shall walk like blind men because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like refuse. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath. But the whole land shall be devoured by the fire of his jealousy. For he will make speedy riddance of all those who dwell in the land. Verse 17 says that after God's judgment, the people will be in a daze. They will walk around as if blind, aimlessly. They don't know what hit them. So total and so devastating is God's judgment in the end. And don't feel sorry for them, as sometimes we read these passages and we feel sorry for these people who will experience this. It's not because they are innocent. It's not because they are undeserving of this. I want you to look closely and underline in verse 17 this phrase. Highlight it. Circle it. Because they have sinned against the Lord. That is the reason that God's judgment comes upon them and upon us. For the singular reason that we have sinned against him. You see, the omnipotent, sovereign God does not do anything out of a whim. He doesn't do things haphazardly. He doesn't sit up in heaven and say, you know what, I want to make their lives miserable. I'm going to bring judgment upon them. There is always a basis to God's justice and judgment. And the basis, verse 17 states it very clearly, because of our sin. That is the criteria by which God judges His people by sin, whether we have sinned or not. I don't know about you, but I've been watching the Olympics these past few days. And as I've been uh, watching the Olympics, I feel sorry for one particular athlete. An athlete, uh, an American gymnast named Gabby Douglas. She is a multiple gold medalist. And yet, instead of celebrating her many accomplishments social media has taken to criticizing her. And what have they criticized Gabby Douglas for? Well, four years ago, she won the gold medal in the all-around uh, gymnastic competition. Instead of celebrating her gold medal in London, they criticized her for her hairstyle, of all things. And this year, as the Olympics are being played out in Rio, Brazil, instead of celebrating her contribution to the team gold medal, social media criticized her for not having a happy face While her colleagues performed their individual routines. Could it be perhaps she was simply tired? They criticized her that she wasn't cheering hard enough. What crazy standards has our world put on us? A world of social media, a world of ubiquitous cameras capturing our lives 24 7. And I wonder if that same criticism. would be leveled against me. Pastor Stephen, he's not a good pastor. He doesn't smile enough. Pastor Stephen shouldn't be a pastor. He, He doesn't remember my name. He doesn't call out to me when I run into him at the mall. He should have seen me. And I wonder if you've been leveled those criticisms as well. Ridiculous, they sound. And I'm so glad that God doesn't charge us over these small and petty things. But you know how God does assess our life? The Bible is very clear. God assesses our lives based on how it stacks up against His standards and not the standards of this world. God assesses our lives based on how it stacks up against His standards. And you know how our lives stack up against His standards? Not very well. We don't really measure up to God's standards. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 is very clear. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the punishment, Romans chapter three 6, verse 23, the wages of sin is death. If we want to talk about what we deserve, we deserve death because of the sin in our life. What I want you to see about God's omnipotence, number three, is that God's judgments are fairly executed. God's judgments are fair. They are fairly executed. In fact, verse 18 says that those with financial abilities shall not be able to buy their way out of God's punishment. Verse 18, neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of God's wrath. I've got that underlined in my Bible. That is the truth, that you cannot buy your way into heaven through good works or wealth. And likewise, you cannot buy your way out of punishment because of your wealth and good works. God doles out his judgments justly. And yes, we know the truth that God is a God of grace. That is the truth of the scripture. Now I want you to listen carefully. God's grace does not preclude him from judiciously punishing those who deserve it. God's grace does not preclude him from judiciously punishing those who deserve it. So don't be so arrogant into thinking that God will not punish you for your sins because of his grace. You see, that's how a lot of us think. It's okay, I can get away with some sin because God is gracious. Yes, he's a gracious God. He's a God of great patience. But don't test His patience. And don't think that somehow God is being unfair to you. If you sin and He punishes you, and someone else does the exact same thing and God doesn't punish them, God is right and just to dole out His punishment. That is part of His characteristic of omnipotence and sovereignty. If God was judicious in punishing me in the way I lived my life, I would not be standing before you this morning. So I am in deep appreciation of his grace. I know grace very well. But I've also understood that this generation doesn't realize the truth that God in his judgments are also very fair. Remember that. Remember, Zephaniah's goal was not to give the people a sense of despair and sadness, but was to elicit from them a desire for repentance and obedience in light of the truth of God's omnipotence as seen in his great day of the Lord. As the commentator Matthew Henry so appropriately puts it, Zephaniah intended not to frighten them out of their wits, but to frighten them out of their sins. So what are God's people to do in light of his omnipotence? What are we to respond? How are we to respond in view of his coming day of the Lord? Let's take a look. In chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, there are two responses to the three truths of God's omnipotence. The first response, verse 1 and 2. Gather yourselves together. Yes, gather together, O undesirable nation, before the decree is issued or the day passes like shaft, before the Lord's fierce anger comes upon you, before the day of the Lord's anger comes upon you. The first response, if you're taking notes, to truths about God's omnipotence is, number one, change your life. Do it now. And the emphasis is on the do-it-now part. Today is the day of reckoning. Today is the day you clean up your act. Today is the day you clean up your lives. Do not wait another day until God's punishment comes because when that happens, it is too late. Even in chapter 1, verse 14, when we began our study in this section, the idea of God's soon impending judgment is clearly reiterated The great day of the Lord, verse 14, is near. It is near and hastening quickly. Don't procrastinate to change your life. Don't wait until the end. Do it now is the response to an omnipotent God in his authority, in his supremacy, in who he is. When he tells us to do something, we do it now. Now, if you're a mom or a dad, you know how frustrating it is when your children don't do something right away, right? How many of you, I think all of you, have used the phrase, in some form and in some time, you've told your children, when I ask you to do something, I expect you to do it now. Too bad you can't fire your kids from your family. You've got to raise your voice. You have to demand them to do it you have to tell them the credentials i am your parent when i tell you to do something you do it now what would you do if you were a boss and your employee who you told to do something does it three months after you told them you'd fire them imagine your employee comes to you sir here are the photocopies you asked me three months ago Ridiculous! You would never put up with it, right? You never put up with it. So why is it when God tells us to do something, we say, God, wait. Give me three months. Give me six months. Give me a year before I need to change. Give me a few years. Give me a decade. 20 years, we still haven't changed. Can you imagine that he would be a bit frustrated? Would it be fair if he doled out some punishments? As I thought about it, why don't we do things now? The reason we don't do things immediately and we procrastinate is because we don't want to do it. We don't like it. But it's not about whether you want to do it or not. I remember a story about a missionary in Africa. That missionary was once asked if he really liked what he was doing. So basically the question was, do you like being a missionary in Africa? And his response was quite shocking. Here was his response. Sir, You ask me, do I like being a missionary in Africa? My answer to you is no. My wife and I do not like dirt. We don't like living in a mud house without electricity and running water. We do not like crawling into vile huts through goat refuse. But, sir, is a man to do nothing for Christ, he does not like. God pity him if not. Liking or disliking has nothing to do with it. We have orders to go, and we go. Love constrains us to stay. My friends, it's not about liking or disliking. It's about a command to change. It's about a command to do. The Christian life is not where you can cherry-pick what you want to do and which commands you want to follow. The Christian life is not about liking or disliking something. It is simply doing it in obedience to the omnipotent God and doing it now. And so you can see how frustrated God must be when He, in His omnipotence, asks His people to change and why it takes them months Years, decades to get their act together and change. Don't blame him if the omnipotent God were to act in punishment if you don't do it immediately. We would do the same as parents and as bosses. God is eternally patient with us, but he warns us today that we need to change now. Repentance, confession needs to happen now. Listen carefully. It's not about your convenience. It's about His demands. It's not about your convenience. It's about His demands. Don't wait until it's too late. Imminent repentance is imperative because of God's great day of the Lord. His punishment is rapidly approaching in light of His omnipotence. Change needs to happen now. Sometimes when I go to the U.S., I have the opportunity to talk to Filipinos who've migrated there. And i like to ask them one question. How are you adjusting from a culture that is generally habitually late to everything to a country where the culture is to be prompt and on time, right? How does one change from culturally being habitually late to every event to live in a country where the culture is about being on time and prompt. I got many interesting responses. One of my favorites is this. When I asked this person this question, he said to me pastor, when you miss the plane a few times, you realize the plane isn't going to wait for you. There's great truth in that. When you miss the plane a few times, you realize the plane isn't going to wait for you. What a vivid image. When that door closes, no amount of knocking and pleading is going to get that plain door open again. You're late, you're late. You have to be ready. Change is too late when Christ comes again. Change is too late when His wrath is upon the wicked. Today is the day of decision. Today is the day of repentance. Today is the day you and I need to start living for Jesus Christ. If you wait, it may be too late. As the missionary Robert Moffat once said, we'll all have eternity to celebrate our victories, but only one short hour before sunset to win them. We'll have all eternity to celebrate our victories, but we only have a short time in this life to win those victories. Change your life. Do it now. The second response, verse 3. Seek the Lord, all you meek of the earth, who have upheld his justice. Seek righteousness, seek humility. It may be that you will be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. The second response to an omnipotent God's impending day of the Lord is to change your life by, number two, seeking the Lord. The first was, change your life, do it now. The second, change your life, seek the Lord. We change our life, not to better ourselves. We change our life so that the life we live is focused and directed towards Him. And that seeking of the Lord is evidenced in two ways, verse 3. First, seek righteousness. Simply put, do what it's right. Do what is right. That's righteousness. Do what is right. Seek to do what is right. The second evidence, seek humility. A condition of the heart, humbling yourself before an omnipotent God, knowing that his punishment is coming. And what is the reason why we would respond in such manner? Look at the end of verse 3. So it may be that you will be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. The word hidden is the idea of sheltered, protected. Protected in this life and the next from God's rightful wrath. You see, in the Bible, it's a very simple principle. It is a principle spoken of in the book of Genesis all the way to the end, the book of the Revelation. And this general principle from the beginning of time is this. God blesses the obedient and disciplines the disobedient. God blesses the obedient and disciplines the disobedient. Nothing earth-shattering. Simple as that. But why don't we heed that truth? That God blesses the obedient and disciplines the disobedient. And he will carry out what he says he will do. Because in his omnipotence, he is more powerful than any other man or woman in this earth. He's more powerful than any human institution. And all of his acts are intrinsically fair. So the benefit of changing your life is that you move from a position of the punished to one of protection. Changing your life as you seek the Lord is for your benefit and my benefit. Because when you come Onto the side of the Lord, instead of punishment, he protects you. What better motivation than to change the way you live today? Repent, confess, and change your life so that you will be protected. I like this survey. The survey says this, the percentage of Americans who own running shoes but don't run is 87%. Think about that. The percentage of Americans who own running shoes but don't run is 87%, and I fall in that 87% category. Likewise, how many of us claim to be Christians but don't run the race of life as Christians should run? Change your life by seeking Him in all things in view of this omnipotence. This is not a suggestion. This is a command by one who is all powerful. You see, there's a difference if a sibling tells you to turn off the television versus your parents telling you to turn off the TV. What's the difference? Power and authority. There's a difference between a colleague telling you, hey, make some photocopies, versus your boss telling you to make photocopies. What's the difference? Power and authority. There's a difference between a janitor telling you to pick up a piece of trash on the floor versus the president of the company telling you to pick up trash on the floor. What is the difference? Power and authority. And so if the all-powerful, omnipotent God tells us to get rid of sin in our life or else there will be punishment, I have a feeling we better clear our schedules and make this a priority in our lives. Do not test the patience of God. It is a sad day for me as a pastor when I see men and women, in my opinion, who is under the discipline of God. I have been under God's hand of discipline. It is not fun. It is not something you want to play and mess around with. Instead of rejoicing that someone is undergoing discipline, when I see men and women under the disciplined hand of God, my heart goes out to them. There's nothing they can do. But yet God gives us a warning. He says, change. Live transformed lives. Change your life. Seek Him. Do it now so that you can move from punishment to protection. The warning has been sounded. It is that one ring that should remind us to call home and to reconnect with God. May the words of the prophet Zephaniah wake us up to live changed lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the clarity in which you tell us how we are to live. There is no gray area. It is black and white. We are to change the way we live from a life of sin to a life that honors and glorifies you. Give us a proper view of who you are. You are all-powerful. You are omnipotent. And in the truth of who you are, may we humble ourselves and recognize your authority and power in our lives so that we will change to seek you in all things and to do it now. If there are some this morning who have been waiting years thinking that they will have time, may the Spirit move in their hearts this morning that you would convict them to heed the prophet's call to change now. Lord, I thank you for your word. Thank you for the message it brings to a generation such as ours. I need to hear it. We need to hear it. In Jesus' name we pray.